Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Kraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening. We continue our reflections into the richness of the gospel text, and our reflections this evening will include also a consideration into the second reading. Certainly, as we look into John chapter 6, it will have us looking into also Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 32. By the way, I just want to continue to encourage you to send your questions my way. I am uh, grateful for all the questions that you have, just not concerning the subject matter that we might be talking about this evening, but any and all subject matter, huh? I love to engage the dialogue. I love to talk the stuff of the Christian and Catholic faith, so certainly do not hesitate to call me. If you have a very specific question that you have never had answered, or if you have simply not had a dialogue about that question, please contact me. You can email me at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website at joeholcraft.org and just hit the contact link button there and send your email on its way. And if I think this is something that needs to happen by way of phone uh, to develop the conversation, we can certainly go there as well. Again, I love to engage. I love to talk the stuff of the Catholic faith. So please do not hesitate uh, with any of your questions, whatever denomination you belong to, please send your question my way. Okay, with that, we are in the 21st Sunday of Ordinary Time, and we are wrapping up what amounts to be a five-week treatment study of John chapter 6. We really have been hitting this uh, chapter hard. So, so John chapter 6, verses 60 to 69. Many of his disciples, when they heard it, said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples murmured at it, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. But there are some of you that do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who those were that did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer walked with him. Jesus said to the twelve, Will you also go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was to betray him. So, in today's gospel, we hear of the uh, mixed reactions, we could say, of Jesus' disciples to the bread of life discourse, of course, that we have been treating over the past five weeks. 
Jesus provided bread, but his bread is not like manna that God provided in the wilderness. This bread is himself, his very life. And as he has reminded us in this gospel, those who eat it will live forever. Remember, my friends, when we talk about the Eucharist, it is never just about us consuming Christ in the flesh. It is also at once being consumed by him. So we consume our Lord in the Eucharist, and our Lord consumes us. Now, as is often the case in John's gospel, small, ordinary words such as bread and life are loaded with theological meaning. Remember, John is the eagle. That means he soars. (laughs) Okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are the synoptic gospels. John, written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, fills in the gap, if you will, because he reveals the deeper meaning of some of the words that that Christ used. Now, centuries of Eucharistic theology and reflection give us a way to understand the richness of these words. But at the time they were first spoken, they are more than just puzzling. Listen to what Christ says here. Does this offend you? Our Lord's challenge sets up a critical turning point in this gospel, huh? Not only are we told that one of our Lord's followers would betray him, we also learn that some of those who had been following Jesus turned back and no longer went about with him. I'm always struck by that point. We can properly say that the group gets smaller as the stakes get higher, huh? I think this is an important theme for us to think about this week, that the group gets smaller as the stakes get higher. I think we're seeing this today. Whatever explanation Jesus gives, as we read in the gospel, some choose to walk away, huh? thus revoking their, their loyalty. John uses the word disciples for those who turn back. Why is this important? Because these were not casual or uh, seasonal listeners, if you will. They were disciples who knew him and who were most likely known by him. They would have seen his miracles, my friends, known his mighty works. I mean, think about this. All that they had seen, all that they had encountered, all that they had experienced. And upon these words, they turn away. Hmm. So then Jesus turns to the 12. He calls them together and puts the question to them straightforward. Do you also wish to go away? Those of you who know me most intimately. And as we see time and time in the Gospels, Peter playing the role of the spokesperson says what? Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, while these words are different, this exchange, we can uh, properly say, is much the same as Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi that we read about in uh, Mark 8, 27, and Matthew 16, huh? when Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? To which Peter responds, you are the Messiah. Now, how are these different? Well, Lord, to whom can we go is a question. You are the Messiah is an affirmation. 
right? So they, there is a distinction there, a question, my friends. And to that question, Lord, to whom can we go? To whom shall we go? Is a question that we must all take up in times of darkness, because we know the answer is Jesus, and he lights the path before us. My dear friends, the depth and significance of Christ's message and the teachings of the church, as we know, scandalizes. What does our Lord say in the Sermon on the Mount? You will be persecuted in my name. My name will bring to you scandal. And so, as we reach into the depth and the significance of what is going on here, we see that, yes, we are made to see that scandal, in a sense, is often a stumbling block for the disbeliever and a test for the believer. But as we have talked about a great deal, tests are necessary. Why? Because they measure what we know, yes, but also they measure our faithfulness. If you were to go into the New Testament, you see this theme of scandal and how it is connected with faith as free acceptance of the mystery of Christ. My dear friends, before the gospel, we cannot remain indifferent, lukewarm or evasive. The Lord calls each of us personally, asking us to declare ourselves for him and to him. I'm thinking about, of course, uh, Abraham, right? the extraordinary call to sacrifice his own son. And Abraham's heroic yes, a great test, a test of faithfulness, a test of putting God first before anything and everyone, huh? And as we have noted in the past, this is very archetypal to God himself as father giving his son for the world. So we ourselves are made to see, when we think about being tested, the importance of being what? Faithful. Giving our heroic, yes, each and every day, in each and every minute. When we are faced with the difficult teachings of Jesus in the church, do we also wish to go away like those disciples? Is it not true that many times, because of the complexity of the issues, and the pressures of the society around us, if we were honest with ourselves, we too may want to go away. We too may want to abandon our Lord. I say this now because what we must recognize is that we cannot do this on our own. We must be not self-reliant, but God-reliant. Huh? My dear friends, following Jesus and the teachings of the church may not always be easy or pleasant. Or we can even say sometimes totally comprehensible. But when it comes to the stuff of eternal life, Christ has been telling us for the past five weeks what? That he is the path of life. That he is the spiritual food. And for this, we say, Lord, to whom else can we go? You know, we are faced with many challenges today, and it is at this point that I want to turn to the second reading, Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 32, because among those challenges certainly stands our need and our call to witness to uh, married life. So if you have your Bibles out there, and if you want to turn to Ephesians 5, and this is Paul catechizing on the Christian household. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, 
Be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself the Savior. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. So, Today's second reading from the letter to the community at Ephesus, Paul exhorts married Christians to a strong and mutual love, huh? At the origin and center of every Christian marriage, there must be love. You husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Holding with Genesis 2.24 that marriage is a divine institution, Paul sees clearly that Christian marriage has taken on a new symbolic meaning of the intimate relationship of love between Christ and the church. The wife should serve her husband in the same spirit as that of the church's service to Christ. And moreover, the husband should care for his wife with the same devotion and sacrifice like that of Christ to the church. That often goes overlooked, huh? (laughs) That... Christ's sacrifice should be the icon for married love, yes, and especially for the husband. Why? Because what does Paul say here? Huh? You must lay your life down like Christ has laid down his life for the church. This is divine sacrificial love, is it not? This is the stuff of saintliness. This is the stuff of holiness. We often spend so much time focusing on Paul's words about the wife being subject to her husband. And we forget that that subjectivity in the order of sequence comes out of man laying down his life for his bride. My dear friends, what you have in Paul's vision of Christian marriage is a mutual love that leads to saintliness. Huh? Paul gives to the Genesis passage its highest meaning in the light of the union of Christ and the church, of which Christ-like loyalty and devotion in Christian marriage are a clear reflection. If we loved as Christ loved, we would not be having the difficulties we have with marriage today. And by that I mean so much heartache, so much pain. If you are a husband out there, I really encourage you to go on bended knee. Pray for the grace and the strength to love as Christ loved. To put your wife before you, to put your family before you, and come to an understanding that in this self-gift, in this self-giving versus self-getting, we will truly discover the greatness of who we are called to be as men and as husbands. 
We need to put away the remote controls. We need to turn off the computers. We need to stop watching pornography. And we need to start stepping up and being men of God. Because if we don't, then our families will suffer and society as a whole will suffer. If the family is the cell to society, then the husband and his role as patriarch of the family is of the utmost importance. We cannot be living in this sanitized version of what it means to be a male, of what it means to be a father, and what it means to be a husband. No. We need to embrace our masculinity. We need to rediscover the virtues that embody our masculinity, such virtues as being chivalrous, such virtues as being a provider, such virtues that lead. This is what our society needs. This is what our families need. No matter what faith denomination you belong to, if you call yourself a Christian, then you have Christ on the cross as your icon. And you have that because in that you discover the deeper meaning of who you are as father and husband. I will never forget um, that day when I said yes to my wife. My world changed because at that moment, I was made to see other in a whole new light. I will never forget that day when my oldest son was born and child number two and number three and number four. Why? Because on all of those days was God calling me to give more of myself. And by loving my wife and my children, Christ reveals to me the potential of who he calls me to be. I just need to open my heart so that grace might invade my soul. Okay, so it is. We need to bear witness that the institution of marriage, male and female, is a God-endowed institution which proclaims the greatness of God. I have a quote here from Benedict XVI from Caritas in Veritate, that is, Charity and Truth. It is thus becoming a social and even economic necessity once more to hold up to future generations the beauty of marriage in the family and the fact that these institutions correspond to the deepest needs and dignity of the person. He goes on in paragraph 44. In view of this, states are called to enact policies promoting the centrality and the integrity of the family founded on marriage between a man and a woman, the primary vital cell of society, and to assume responsibility for its economic and fiscal needs while respecting its essentially relational character. In similar fashion, we have seen Pope Francis take up this very theme, huh? Not only this call we have to bear witness to traditional marriage, but at the same time really call out the state to really elevate the dignity of the human person, to enact policies, as Benedict XVI talks about here, to promote the centrality and the integrity of the family founded on marriage between a man and a woman, the primary vital cell to society. What's going on here, my friends? Without married people, we cannot build the future of society and the church. If you were to really think about this critically, what were to happen if you were to remove that aforementioned sacrifice that we have been talking about from the world we live in? 
I mean, what would happen? We would live in a world void of love. Remember what the word sacrifice means again from the Latin secum fice, to make holy? If you were to remove married people from the world, what you would be doing is removing holiness. And what is holiness? Is it not that light? What does the writer Donald DeMarco say of holiness? Holiness is like a lighthouse. It does not send off flares or shoot off cannons. It just shines in the darkness. My dear friends, marriage is that beacon, is that lighthouse that ought to shine in the darkness. Yes, it is getting dark out there, but the darker it gets, the more our light shines. And what does it mean that married couples take up this call to sacrifice for the future? Well, for example, let us consider today's vocations. In some circles, we are certainly experiencing a vocation crisis to religious life in the priesthood. In other circles, we are not. What is the measuring stick to where vocations are suffering and where vocations are thriving but holy families? Because the stronger the family is, the stronger chance there will be a vocation out from that family. Why? Because the family is going to be strong if it is praying. And if the family is praying, it is going to dispose hearts to discern the priesthood, hearts to discern religious life. So we have then this call, this call that goes out to all of us to witness to our Christian and Catholic faith and do so first and foremost by embracing the person that is before us inside our home and loving them as God calls us to love them, even if it is the most difficult person to love because it is the person that God is putting before you. And in the name of love, we love, right? So, that being said, we have been in John chapter 6 for five weeks. And from one week to the next, as we get into the readings that come to us from the Mass, it really is in preparation for the Mass, right? So what I thought we could do is read a a prayer that comes to us from St. Ambrose, in preparation before Mass. And this will be our closing prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I approach your banquet table in fear and trembling, for I am a sinner, and dare not rely on my own worth, but only on your goodness and mercy. I am defiled by many sins in body and soul, and by my unguarded thoughts and words. Gracious God of majesty and awe, I seek your protection. I look for your healing, poor trouble, sinner that I am. I appeal to you, the fountain of all mercy. I cannot bear your judgment, but I trust in your salvation. Lord, I show my wounds to you. I know my sins are many and great, and they fill me with fear. But I hope in your mercies, for they cannot be numbered. Lord Jesus Christ, eternal God, God and man, crucified for mankind, look upon me with mercy and hear my prayer. For I trust in you, have mercy on me, full of sorrow and sin, for the depth of your compassion never ends. Praise to you, saving sacrifice offered on the wood of the cross for me and for all mankind. Praise to the noble and precious blood flowing from the wounds of my crucified Lord Jesus Christ and washing away the sins of the whole world. Remember, Lord, your creature, whom you have remembered with your blood. 
I repent my sins, and I long to put right what I have done. Merciful Father, take away all my offenses and sins. Purify me in body and soul and make me worthy to taste the Holy of Holies. May your body and blood, which I intend to receive, although I am unworthy, be for me the remission of my sins, the washing of my guilt, the end of my evil thoughts, and the rebirth of my better instincts. May it incite me to do the works pleasing to you and profitable to my health and body and soul, and be a firm defense against the wiles of my enemies. Amen. And we close. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.